Hey everyone, my name is Pastor Dina and thank you so much for joining us for Northeast Christian Church Online Services. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms to keep up to date with all that's going on here in our church. Also, if you would like to rewatch today's sermon, you can look us up on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of service. I was asking Lord, you know, where do I pick up after missions month? And I just really felt like today was a random message. I, at first I had these grand ideas. I was gonna preach about how big God is, right? God's big God, he's so big, he does this, he does that, he does this. Uh, but sometimes that just helps you feel smaller. And as it was going through, I came to the book of 2 Timothy, which is the last words of Paul uh, to Timothy, possibly to anyone. Paul is in Rome. He's on death row for being a Christian. Um, we don't have that in our country in the world that we live in. We have different kinds of pressures, but there are other pl uh, places around the world that the missionaries in the back that represent places where for you giving your life to Christ means diso being disowned from your family and even your life being uh, at risk. And I just wanna say, first of all, thank you so much for those of you that made faith promise pledges. We have reached $115,000 of faith promise pledges. And uh, I just wanna say thank you. Again, we do that beyond the tithe, and um, my wife and I fully and strongly participate in that, so it's not something we're asking you to do that we don't do ourselves, as well as the entire pastoral team. But uh, we're making a difference, and I think last Sunday you could hear that and what's going on in Indonesia from Don, and I, I just, could, we, could, we don't have enough uh, Sundays in the year to have all of these missionaries come in and tell you the stories of what they're doing, but we are making a difference way beyond the walls of this church, and I want to say thank you for that. So today's message is simply this, last words. If you knew what your last words were going to be, what would they be? Right? The queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, not uh, uh, Queen Victoria, Queen Victoria, back in the Victorian era, as she was dying, she said this, she said, all of my possessions for but a moment of time. One of the dukes in England around that time said to his wife, either the wallpaper goes or I go. And he died. True story. True story. Final words are, are important. Paul is pretty certain these may be his final words. So he chooses them very carefully. And he chooses who to write to very carefully, and it just turns out that he writes to Timothy. And I want to read the first section of his letter here in chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It's, it's, it goes quick because it's a, it's a letter, and it reads that way. I'm going to read it in the NIV. I, I'm actually a diehard NIV, or I know we have uh, uh, um, ESVs, Sometimes the, the NIV just flows nice, and I just wanted to, I'm, I've been picking up my, e, my NIV, and I'm just going to read it to you. You can listen. You can read along in your Bible, whatever you choose to do. Uh, my encouragement is that you do own a Bible um, and uh, that you open it beyond church. But here it is. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That was really what Kristen was getting at when she was talking about the things, the ways that God gives. I would pay anything for peace in the worst moments of my life. There aren't enough dollars in the world, and there are many people who have plenty of them that despite having all of that wealth, they can't, they can't find it. By the way, I think it's still $1.6 billion Powerball. I don't know, after it goes over a billion, I don't know if it's sinned. <laughs> but one person who won $750 million replied and said, things that do and don't change when you win. And they said one of the things that doesn't change is, is that if you were an unhappy person before money, you probably will continue to be an unhappy person after. So money really can't buy you everything, but definitely puts down payment on some sorrows. <laughs> Just going to be real here. Listen to what Paul says. Grace, mercy, peace. Uh, I want them all. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. Now think about this. Paul is talking about his lineage, but his family, he seems to be the first Christian. So he's talking about his Judaism. He says, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. Think about this kid, Timothy. He's a young man. That's in a time where people are trying to show how tough they are, how strong they are. But Timothy didn't have a problem showing how deeply he cared. I, I tell you what, the world does not need another punk, does not need another foul mouth, bravado person to try and show everybody how bad they are. The world needs men that can weep with those who weep. No man is stronger than he shows the vulnerability of his heart to people. And Timothy had that, because Paul could say, I recall your tears. I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And then he goes on and he says, for this reason I'm reminded, and I'm, re I'm reminding you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now there's lots of doctrines out there about uh, double portion and the anointing, and there's unique moments in church history where God did things with things and whatever, but the double portion is actually was given to the eldest son, which meant you had the responsibility of the entire tribe, so you can keep that double portion. It comes with, with 10 times the responsibility, but there was something to be said about the laying on of hands. Paul is not transferring something from himself into this, into this young man, Timothy, but it came as a result of him laying hands and saying, God, would you touch this person? How many of you have ever come to this altar and come up for prayer, and there was just an ordinary person and something extraordinary happened in your life because that person prayed for you? That's what we're talking about. Paul says, there's a gift in you, Timothy. I was there. I prayed. I laid my hands on you, but... You need to maintain that gift. You need to fan it into flame. Blow on it. Put wood on it. You've got to tend that fire. It's through you. It's, it, it came to you through the laying on of my hands, but it didn't come from 
the laying on of my hands. The spirit of God, uh, he goes on, he says, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. And this is the verse I want to focus on a lot. The spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Somebody say amen to that. Let me read it again. Listen. Through Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, brought life and immortality through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. It doesn't matter who laughs at you, what family member thinks you're crazy, what person might have to say about how foolish it is to believe that there even is a God. To be quite honest, Paul is saying to Timothy, and I'm saying to you today, I really don't care what you think. I really don't care what you say. I don't really care what you do, because I know that God is able to keep that which has been entrusted to him and that is my life and my soul and the eternal gospel heaven is real hell is real justice is real Jesus is real so he he's choosing some pretty good last words but then look at what happens he says Timothy what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Paul says, glow it, fan it into flame. But he says, guard it. Guard it. Protect it. And don't just protect it in your own strength. You're not powerful enough to do that, but, but ask God, Lord, ha, ha, what, what do I need to do? You know, it's an interesting, simple thought. The presence of God, when it was in the wilderness, it was a tabernacle, right? And it had an outer curtain, and then it had an inner curtain, and then it had an inner inner curtain. And in simple, sometimes guarding God's presence in your life means that you need to put protective layers around your life to keep the dirt out of the very thing that brings cleanliness and holiness to your soul, the things of God. There's a lot of dirt blowing around out there. And he's saying, Timothy, guard. Put a barrier, protect it. And then he goes on and he says this, he says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phrygius, uh, uh, Phagellus, and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy on the household of Onesiphorus, because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant him 
that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would speak into our day from that day and that we would take something from here and that we would fan it, we would guard it, we would not be ashamed of it, but we would be mindful that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and you have not given us a spirit of fear but a power love and of sound mind. In Jesus' name, amen. It's beautiful it's beautiful that in his last moments, he writes to the next generation of people to carry the torch of the gospel. I, I, I just want to say this random. I have nobody in mind here, so don't, you know, sometimes when you preach, somebody's like, oh, he's talking to me, he's thinking of me, you know. We have this saying, right, we used to say, you spot it, you got it, you know. So, <laughs> but, but let me just say this to you. For any of you over the age, I'm going to, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to say any of you over the age of 40, yeah, yeah, deal with it right? Deal with it. And if you're over the age of 40, would your last moments in life be writing to somebody younger, encouraging them in the way of the Lord, if that were the last letter you could write? Let me ask you this question. Who do you know that's younger than you, that you're keeping an eye on their life, and you're speaking into their life? We, we need to pass to the next generation encouragement, direction, anchors. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's really saying, hey, listen, uh, Timothy, you've got something. Look at, look at how he starts it out. He says, he says I, don't know, I, ha- I had a controller, but I lost it. You ready to rock with me? Here we go. It's my dance moves that change the slides. Okay. Sincere faces. So the next one, a bunch of names, Eunice and... You can hold it right there. He, he, so Timothy, he recognizes something. He says, Timothy, I see within you a sincere faith. You know, it's one thing to have faith. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing for you to carry Jesus and to carry church in you. Um, the, that the Lord is with you wherever you go. He said, Timothy, there's something in you that like when... We say, go in God's grace, see you next week. Church hasn't shut off inside of you. It's still on. Jesus isn't put in your pocket for next week. Like, he's center before you. There's something, Timothy, and I've seen it, and he, and, and he saw it with his tears. He's, he says, I'm mindful of your tears. And he says this, he says, he, says, um, he talks about two People, not those people, but it would have been the next slide. That one's like towards the end, right? But sincere faith is good. Sincere faith is good. If you could go to that slide. So he says, I see a sincere faith in you. And there might be Lois Eunice and you in there. That's the, that's the one I was looking for. But, but I can just say it. That's okay. And he, he says, I, saw, I see a sincere faith in you. I saw it in your mother Eunice, in, in your grandmother Eunice, in your mother Lois, and I probably got those backwards, right? I've seen it in your grandma Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I see it in you. Now notice who he's mentioning. He's mentioning the women of his home. The reason why is because Timothy is Jewish, 
on his mother's side, but his father's a Gentile. And his faith that was sincere came from his grandma to his mother and now is in his life. How many of you say, thank Jesus for godly grandmothers and mothers? I mean, and that's what Paul's speaking to. He's saying, listen, don't think for a second just because you're a single mom or just because you're a grandma with a single mom daughter and, and it's just the, the two of you and the grandkids that are left that you do not have the power of influence over the life of your kids. Don't sit around in a corner saying, oh, oh, I'll never know what it is to be a man of God because, because he doesn't have a fatherly example. A lot of people don't have a fatherly example, but that's not true. When you have Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have received a new father and he's your heavenly father and he's the greatest example. And don't think for a moment just because you are a woman raising young men and you're doing it alone that God can't give you the grace to deposit within your kid a sincere faith that changes the world. Paul's last words to Timothy are basically that. He's like, kid, you didn't have a dad that was dialed into this stuff. He was a Gentile and and. Maybe he's a believer, maybe he's not. I, don't, I, I just don't see anything mentioned of him, but he goes out of his way to mention his grandma and his mom and you, and you've got the tears to back it, and there's something special in you, Timothy. Timothy, I want you to know you have a sincere faith. Before I depart this world, I want to call out something in you, and I say this to every one of you, 40 and over, 30 and over, 20 and over, you need a Timothy in your life where you're calling out greatness in them. Good grief as a church, what would it be like if instead of us just showing up on Sundays that midweek you reached out to a young man or a young woman and said, you're doing coffee with me. You're, we're, we're going, you're, I want you to take a ride with me. I got to go look at uh, something. Or, or, or hey, I want to have you over my house. Or ladies, as you gather together that you say, you know what, we're not just going to do young la- older ladies, we're going to invite our daughters and our young ladies to experience what goes on here in the presence of God. Men doing the same thing. We are in a place and in a position where we can impact the next generation by creating a sincere faith in them by calling out greatness in them. That's how the church changes the world. That's our, not only our responsibility as parents, but as, as the church, and that's what Paul points out, and he says, man, I'm reminded of your tears. And he sees maybe in Timothy that he's a bit shy. Timothy was a young pastor. He was, he was going on his own. Imagine this, imagine this. Now, I have to say this publicly. I have to say this publicly, and I want to affirm something publicly. I want to call out something publicly. Pastor Dylan is a 45-year-old, 28-year-old. <laughs> and if you have ever needed church discipline and found yourself in the room with him there, you know full well that he handles himself like a man and a man of God and a man of self-control and a man of love, but he is also a man of power, and he is an exception to the rule. But how many of you, being 35, 45, 55, if a young 24-year-old came up to you and said, you know what, you got some stuff you need to change in your life. 
How many of you, right, imagine if you, when you were a kid growing up in a home, your, your, your little seven-year-old sister says to you at 10, you got it all wrong. You need to do it my way. It's like, what? Mom's not watching. It sounds crazy. But he says, Timothy, there's something different about you. In fact, in one of the other epistles, he writes this. He says, Timothy, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Rather, set an example in life, in faith, in speech, in love, in godliness. Age is not necessarily, like, we don't get tenure for maturity. We get experiences, but how we handle those experiences determines if we're maturing. Um, but it's, it's, it's occasional that there are exceptions to that. I think that we have a pastor in Pastor Dylan that is exceptionally godly and mature and would fit right here in Paul's letter perfectly. But Timothy had something of a challenge that we don't have. And that's to be a Christian was illegal. You see, every time you said Jesus, one of the accusations against the early church was that we were atheists. Doesn't that sound weird? You're a Christian, you're an atheist. You know why? Because they believed in worship of the emperor. So if you did not believe in the emperor to worship him, you were considered an atheist. And every time you said that Jesus is Lord, you were saying, and you, Caesar, are not, which was punishable by death. And Paul is writing his letter in prison during the time of Nero, knowing that in a short period of time, most likely his head is going to be separated from his body, and yet, while he's in chains, we know that he's witnessing even to the Roman soldiers who are guarding him. And somehow, when he says, if there's the last words that I'm going to write, I'm going to write to Timothy, and I'm going to tell him, I see a sincere faith in you. I saw it in your grandmother. I saw it in your mother, and I see it now in you. And Timothy, don't forget the moment where that gift from God came on you by the laying on of my hands, and God put within you a gift to be that pastor and that man of God. And then he says these words, which are the center of everything we're talking about here. He says, in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control or sound mind. Now, here's... here's something. You can put it on fear if you want. Let's start with fear. There's a slide that says fear. Thank you, guys. Um, they have, I, you, you ever learn a word and then all of a sudden everybody's using it? That happened to me with the word ubiquitous. Somebody once told me the, the word ubiquitous means every, I'm like, what does the ubiquitous mean? That just sounds so fancy. It means you see it everywhere. You hear it everywhere. You find it everywhere. And that, they gave me the example. They said, McDonald's is ubiquitous. And I'm like, you ain't kidding, baby. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ronald. Um, but all of a sudden, it sounds like everybody starts using the word. And you're like, well, there's a word I've heard, but I don't hear people using it. And it's called a hapax. 
And uh, I do this for the sake of Dylan because he is now a full-fledged Greek student headed into his second semester, but a hapax is a word that only appears once in a book. So it, there are two words in this, in this sentence that Paul uses. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind or self-discipline. There are two words that are only found in this sentence and in the entire New Testament. So it makes it very hard to understand them. And so when you translate stuff, it's really a, trying to make a good decision. Now it's found elsewhere, so you can do it, and I'm not gonna take you through the whole process of it, but as I dig through this, here's the interesting part of a spirit of fear that God gives us, this, this word. It kinda has the idea of timidity. It kinda has the idea of the word being a coward. It probably reminds Timothy of, his, uh, of him because of both his, his temperament, maybe being a little bit shy in difficult situations, but Paul chooses this word very carefully. The best way to understand this word is to say you don't have to be afraid that you will lack enough character or enough courage for what you're going to face. Can I tell you something about men, ladies? This will help you. Deep down inside, men are terrified of failure. And the thing that terrifies us the most is we ask ourselves the question, do I have what it takes? That tortures us. And believe it or not, when you see us angry, we're not really angry, we're actually in full-blown anxiety because we're frustrated because we may be in the middle of a situation where we're asking myself, or you're asking yourself, or we're asking ourselves to have the courage to do this. Oh my goodness, do I lack the character to be qualified to do this? See, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't you worry for a second. Don't you fear that you lack, you will lack the courage, or you will lack the character I am fully confident because I've seen your tears. I was there when we prayed for you. I know that God has not given you a spirit for you to be afraid that you would lack the courage or the character to do what's before you. And if I could just say this to each and every one of you today, you know you better than anyone else, which means that you are the greatest expert at disqualifying yourself for anything that God would want to do with you. But I want you to know it is not your character, it's his character. It's not your courage, it's his courage. It's not your power, it's his power. It's not your love, it's his love. God has not given you a spirit of fear to lack the courage or the character, but he has given you a spirit of power, love, and of sound mind to do what God's calling you to do. You're not sufficient. He is. And that's why he's focusing the whole attention on the Spirit of God. And these are last words. Timothy, listen, I'm not going to be here forever. I, I, this may be my last letter to you, but I want you to know I've seen your tears. I've seen your sincere faith. It's a part of your family. And let me tell you what, if you did not come from a godly family, if you were the first Christian in your home, you'd do what Joshua did and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And maybe your family didn't go to church. Guess what? You're the one that can say, not again. There's, it, it, is, it is just pathetic how the world is filled with men that send women and kids off to church and think that they will have the courage 
or the character in that moment needed when God is needed in your situation. And what you permit your kids prevent in their life. I didn't mean for that to be a slap to men because that's like... Can we be honest? Like, how many ever wake up and say, I, today's a church sick day. I'll watch it online. And, and you just have it playing there, but you're not watching it, you know. Some of you think that I'm, I'm probing to see, I'm, I'm actually confessing right now. And then I find out I gotta speak, so I have to come anyway, right? But he said, Timothy, I haven't given, God hasn't given us Here's a beautiful thing, too. Paul can teach us something about how to speak into young people's lives. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. See, he's not going up to Timothy. This is the value of coaching someone with greatness versus criticizing them with grief. He says, he says to him, he says, he says, Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He didn't say, hey, Timothy, what's wrong with you? Stop your crying. I prayed for you. God's enough. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Get out there and do it. Be a man. Right? Like that can, instead, what is he doing? He's approaching Timothy. Um, I, I, Ethan's not here, so I can talk. I can talk. Right? Can we talk about Ethan? I'm going to talk about you. <laughs> I have, a, I have a unique, as many of you know, you, you all have unique relationships with each of your kids. They're not the same. But Andrew and I have this one thing about us where if there's a lot of turmoil and chaos going on and he's defensive or he's upset, I just, tell, tell, tell me if this is truth, I just simply put my hand on his shoulder and I just say, Andrew, I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to communicate with you. And all of a sudden, we hid back into logic mode. It's this great, I love you, meaning me. <laughs> We have a great relationship like that, and so I'm not ashamed of, of, of our friendship. And, and Paul is like speaking to Timothy, and he's saying, he's saying to him, hey, it's us. And he puts himself in there. You want to speak into somebody's life? Talk about, talk about yours. Talk about yours. You want to talk about somebody's weakness? Talk about how you experience that same weakness. You want to talk about you know, becoming brave, talk about your moments of fear. And that opens somebody's heart wide up for this. But he says to him, he says, you're going to have what it takes when the moment comes. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love these guys. I'll say their name again, backwards. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were BFFs with Daniel, in the book of Daniel, the king is making demands on them to behave like the pagans and eat like the pagans, and eating the right foods is really important to a Jewish person. That's the hill they're willing to die on. And the king puts out a giant statue and says, everybody bow down to it. And they said, we can't. And he said, if you don't bow down to it, we will throw you in the fiery furnace. The Bible says that they tie up the ropes on them, and they... He commands that the fire be heated way beyond what is possible, so it's this maddening fire. In fact, the Bible says in, I think it's Daniel chapter 3 or 4, right, 2, maybe 2, 3, 4, give me, get, there you go, close enough. 
These aren't lottery numbers, by the way. Um, so right in that area, two, three, and four, he, he walks in and one of the soldiers goes to push them in and the soldiers die from the heat. And the Bible says when they're in there, the king's looking in and he says, I see four people in the fire and one of them looks like the son of the gods. And it, the fourth man in the fire, we could, we could probably easily assume and just jump, that's the angel of the Lord, or that's Jesus in there. And you know what? They came out of the fire. He said to him, he said, come on out, because nobody's going up to it. They've been killed from it. And, and in fact, the Bible says that the very ropes that tied them were gone, but they didn't smell like smoke. Do you know what? If you stand in the hour of your trial, no matter how hot, dangerous, or real that problem is, God has a way of bringing you through it that the only thing that falls off and burns away is not your flesh, it's the things that bound you. Trials are not a bad thing, they're a good thing. And here's what stands out to me about these kids, is that when they, and they were kids, they turned to the king and they said, oh king, you can throw us in that furnace. We want you to know something. Our God can save us. But listen to what they say. They say, but if he does not know this, we will not bow. We will not bow. We will not bow. The reason why we don't have young men and women like that today is because we don't have old men and women like that today. In greater abundance. See, Paul didn't know that Timothy was not the only person he was going to be writing to. God knew that this was important enough for you and I to hear it. Don't be afraid of a lack of courage or character in that hour. If you're following Jesus where you lack the pieces, he makes up the difference. But he, he will give you a spirit of power the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his presence, the power of God. The power means not that the servant of God necessarily be a person or a personality of power, but that he has the strength and character to be bold to exercise the authority God is asking of them. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within them to enable many a naturally timid man or woman to develop boldness when his or her moment comes and it's called for them and it may be difficult and it may be hard but God gives you what you need in that moment I look at some of the things you go through as Christians and I say I don't know how they're doing it I don't know how they're making it and you could look at me and say I'll tell you how because the moment that I met that challenge in that situation was the moment that God's living presence showed up to give me what I needed to face the hour of challenge I was in. The, I feel like I need to be more bombastic to, at that moment. You know, it's still the weird clap thing, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Or I'm supposed to be more dynamic at that moment. No, let me tell you! Um, but this is good truth, man. And when we're talking about power from God, I, I, I can't even, I don't even know where to begin to how to communicate to you what power 
from the presence of Jesus means. First of all, the Holy Spirit is who God has left with us. Now, all of his job is to do is to direct all glory to Christ, right? The Father's on the throne. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you and I. Thank you. The fact that, listen, we don't have to ask for St. Christopher, St. Anthony to help us find anything. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ, who's got the right ear of the right seat of the Father, who's talking to him. And I, I will pull on that card. Like, why, cut out the middleman. Go right to Jesus. He's right at the right hand of the Father. But he is not coming back and gathering together small groups and making you wear sandals and robes. He's at the right hand of the Father. The Father is on the throne. He is at the right hand of the Father, and he's there advocating for us. But Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you my spirit. And in fact, in one of the Gospels, it says that the Lord will give us the spirit without measure. And what we sometimes tend to do, and I think in Pentecostal charismatic movements or, or very spirit-focused movements, we tend to be, treat the Holy Spirit as like God's lightning force power. You know, it's like, it's like Holy Ghost, you know, heal. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity which means that he relates to you. He watches you. He walks with you. He's in tune with you. He understands what you're feeling. He understands what you're lacking. He sees what's coming ahead. He knows what's coming up from behind you. He's looking at your left side and your right side, and he's saying, you don't have to worry about this. I will give you power. 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 There's, there's three forces of power in the universe. There's technically four. Four. Gravity. I don't care how thin you are, we both fall at the same rate, according to Newton. Okay? Gravity. It's, it's pretty, you know, you can, you can fight it. Second is electromagnetism. Lightning's, I don't want to catch a lightning bolt. It's power, right? The, set, the third power of nature is, is uh, it's, it's, I don't know how to, how to, weak nuclear force. Everything that's decaying around us, that's, that's weak nuclear force, the breaking down of, of decomposition. That's, that's actually a force of, of nature, and it happens, but I'm not necessarily as afraid of that as a lightning bolt. But what I am afraid of is nuclear power. Nuclear power, gravity, give gravity a six. Take the number six and add 39 zeros after it. And that is a drop of nuclear force compared to a drop of gravity. What is amazing to me is, is that the atomic bomb was just taking one atom and splitting it and it destroyed an entire city. That's power. There are a lot of people out there that sit back and they say, you know, I don't know about the power of God. And then there are other people out there that flirt with it and say, man, power of God, uh, I I've seen stuff. When I was a kid, I grew up in a, in a haunted house. 
Everybody's got their haunted house stories. Come on, wave your hand real quick if you got your haunted house story, right? And they've been telling them through the family forever, and, and you've got those stories. And, but but, but I'm, I'm not ghost chasing. I'm not ghost busting. I'm not doing that. I, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Demonic power is real. You look in the Bible, and Jesus sees a man, and he's there, and he's living in the tombs, and there's a rock in Israel called Flint where if you break it, it makes a razor edge, and he's, he's cutting himself to try and relieve the pain of what he's feeling inside because he's tormented. And the demon comes up to him, and he says, he says what's your name? He says, Legion, for we are many. And in fact, they say to Jesus, they say, have you come here to torment us before our time? The demons, the legion of demons, are terrified at the presence of Jesus because they think that the final judgment has come. And they beg him, they say, don't, don't, don't send us away. He said, put us in the pigs. Put us in the pigs. And he goes, okay. And you have the largest rush for bacon down the hill and into the water. And 2,000 pigs drowned. So we could assume if 2,000 demons could live in one man, it was possible there were several demons in each of those pigs. There were a whole, but even if we do it a one-for-one one and he had 2,000 demons, that's a lot of demons. Everybody in the town was terrified of this man. He lived among the graves. They chained him up with chains, and he supernaturally, supernatural strength, broke the chains. Nobody could control this man, but when Jesus shows up, he shows up in power. Power. But power isn't a charge that you get from heaven or a magical name drop. The sons of Sceva were a group of guys that saw Paul doing his thing, driving out demons. And they went up to this, this guy that was demon-possessed, and they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of this man. And you know what the demon said to him? He said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? And they got themselves the biggest beating because the demon jumped and beat them and it says they ran, right? I don't want to laugh at someone else's misfortune. They, they ran out of the house beaten so bad they ran out naked fleeing for their life. I know. It's not just holding up a cross and saying the name Jesus. You, are you known by God? Do you know God? Because greater is he, and he's saying to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, I've seen your tears. I know what God's put in you. I know you, you're afraid, but I want you to know something. You don't have to worry and fear that you won't have the courage or the character. God will give it in the moment that you need it. But it has nothing to do with your strength, Timothy, because God's given you a spirit of power. I'll never forget hearing a story from Jim Cimbala. He was talking about a person that was demonically possessed, and uh, he, I, I don't know why I keep favoring this side. I just, you guys, I just don't know why, hi. But he, uh, he, 
was praying for a man who was demonically possessed. And he said, in the name of Jesus, come, come out of him. They don't make a big show of it. I don't think it needs to be a big show. You don't need to get a demon's name to drive them out. Jesus drove them out with a word. He said, in the name of Jesus, come out. And the demon laughs and goes, <laughs> he goes, this kind comes out through prayer and fasting. And you see, at that point, Pastor Jim wasn't fasting. He'd been feasting on some cheesecake. And he said, something in me, I didn't physically step back, but something inside me made me feel like my spirit drew back. And then all of a sudden, a courage rose in me. Same courage that Paul talked to Timothy about. And he said, with that, a power rose in me. Same power that Paul's talking about. And he says, really? He goes, what about the cross? And the demon within this man starts saying, we know about the cross. We're leaving. We're leaving. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of love. God's given you a spirit of love. You hear that this is so funny. When I, one of uh, pastor-like figures that was over my life. He was a Bible college president, Ben Crandall, at one point. He used to always talk about falling in love. He says, says, it sounds like some poor victim walking down the road and you trip in a ditch, you know? I fell in love, you know? But when it comes to the love of God, I just heard a great, uh, this is actually a great example that uh, a, a, white, a woman my wife was talking to she had a group of young ladies together, and she said, I want, you to, I want you to picture you have a piece of paper. So I'm going to actually do this to you. We're going to pretend if we had a piece of paper, you could write down on it the greatest dream and desire you have for your life. All right? Got that? Now, don't think about the illustration. Think about the greatest dream or desire of your life. You got it? Now, imagine that you were forced to hand that to the person next to you, and you would not get that, but that person would. And the expectation is, is that you would be absolutely thrilled and happy and full of joy for the person that got what you wanted but didn't or couldn't have. And when you can do that, you begin to understand the love of God. God hasn't just given us a spirit, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, of being inadequate. He's given us a spirit of power, but he's also given us a spirit of love. I love Corey Temboon, um, who, she and her sister were arrested with her family for helping Jewish people escape during the Holocaust. Do you know that, they, that that was the number one support for Jewish people during the Holocaust was Christians. Christians who took a woman, Ellie Eliash, who is a friend of my wife and I. She was in one of the ghettos in Lithuania and she handed her baby to a Christian family and brought that child to the United States. And then she managed to sneak out of that ghetto and she got to the United States. Her husband was transferred to Auschwitz and he was there during the entire war and he survived through the entire war in Auschwitz. Survived. And made it back to the United States. It was Christians that were helping. 
See, there's, there's some things that are things of faith, and there are some things that are just plain humanity. And I think that God would want the church to be equally as humane as we are Christian. And Corrie Tamboon was one of those people that went in, her family was helping Christians, but she got let go for an accident. They accidentally called her number and she was released completely by accident. Her sister was killed in front of her by a guard. Her sister was the one with faith, but as she reflected, she promised God this. She said, Lord, wherever I go, I will go around the world and talk and tell about the love of God. And she had a famous quote she used to always say, and it was this, there is, no pit, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. See, true love is willing to give its life for somebody. I love the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. If you haven't watched that movie, it's time you do again. A heart isn't measured by how much it loves, but how much it's loved by others. Am I living a life of love that there are others out there that say, I really love and appreciate that person. I really respect and admire that person. I really cherish that person. Now, only Jesus is perfect. You see, all of these things that we're talking about, the truth of the matter is they're not contained with you and I. They're contained within the Holy Spirit who God says that he'll give to us as we stay in relationship with him and we allow him to be part of our decisions, our thoughts, our steps. And yeah, we'll make mistakes. Yeah, there'll be moments where we should stand up that we'll step back. But you keep working at it, and God is going to give you what you need. Last word that Paul says here is sound mind or self-discipline. I put sound mind. I like that one. But it's another one of these words that's called a hapax. See, everybody's using it now. Uh, a hapax is a word that's only found once in a particular book or a piece of literature. And here, in Paul's two sentences to Timothy, he has two words that are only found once in the New Testament. And the word here, probably the best way to understand it would be the word prudence. And that's a difficult word to understand because that's not part of typical English vernacular. But prudence has a combination of self-discipline but also, it's not just that you're self-disciplined, which is one of the choices that translators make, and it's not that you're just of a sound mind, which is what the NIV kind of chooses, but it's a combination of like, you're in a good space in your head, you think things through, but most importantly, you think them through and say, if I take this step, where will the next 25 take me? And before you take that step, you look at those 25 options and you say, I'm not taking that step because that's not good. I'm going to be prudent and self-disciplined. I'm going to use a sound mind in this. But this actually, even though I don't go forward, it actually gets me out of the lane of that. And maybe sometimes you have to in life pull away from a friendship or a relationship or move out of the way of somebody's anger and wrath and move back into the path of that and step into boldness and courage. And, but that's literally prudence. Prudence is a, a careful, wise thought to your steps. It's, 
It's having the wisdom to know when your uncle says, pull my finger, you don't. It's when a brother or sister says, why don't you go out first and see if that's safe for everyone else? You don't. I love William Shakespeare in uh, the movie The King. If you haven't seen that, that's a masterpiece in leadership. It's just a masterpiece. Um, but in, one of, in the writing of this work, he makes a statement really that's in keeping with what this word prudence is talking about or sound mind or self-discipline. He says, uh, the sister of the, the king now says to her brother, he says, brother, choose your steps wisely because while these people mean you well, they also have their own kingdoms behind their own eyes. You see, we need God's kingdom behind our eyes and we need to choose our steps wisely because we live for the glory of God. We live for the praise of his renown. And in fact, Paul goes on later on and he says that. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He goes on and he says that, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Paul talks about two people that just dropped him like a bad habit because to know Paul was not a safe thing. And he says, don't be ashamed of me and don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And I think that's a slide. Not because of us, but because of his purpose and his grace. Sharing the sufferings of the power of God for his purpose and his grace. See, not every suffering situation you're going through is necessarily a bad thing. Do you know how the anointing oil was made? This oil, everyone talks about the anointing. If you've been in church long enough, you'll hear about the anointing, or you'll hear it sometimes like, the anointing, you know? The anointing. They would make the anointing oil. You know how you make the oil for the anointing? You take a stack of olives, and you crush them with a stone. You pound them with a mat. You squeeze them with a pole. You pulverize them. Sometimes the greatest anointed moments of our life pour out of the crushing in our life. Have you ever noticed that the most profound serenity and peace in your heart comes when you're in the middle of a pounding? And you're just like, God, I don't want to be here. But yet, you never felt closer to Jesus than you did in that moment. You never saw Jesus clearer. I'm going to hold on that video clip, and I want to close with this thought for each and every one of you. That pounding and that crushing, there's a beautiful movie. I highly recommend you, you rent it. You can see it on... You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on uh, Amazon Prime, I don't, I don't, it's probably elsewhere. You can't find the whole, oh, you might be able to find the whole thing on YouTube for free, I don't know, but it's called The End of the Spear. A lot of people are very familiar with Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was uh, 
his wife, his wife was a, pro, a pro, prolific writer. She was actually a part of Gordon Conwell. Um, she wrote about how her husband and a group of men went down into the Amazon to reach an unreached tribe. Long story short, the entire group of them were murdered by this tribe by spears. There were no grandfathers in this tribe because they were so violent and so vicious that everyone was killed off. And this is the story. And what, what's amazing is, is that everyone's heard Jim Elliott's story because of these pr profound quotes. He is no fool if he should choose to, to give the thing he cannot keep to find what he can never lose, talking about eternal life, talking about his own life. They, they, they lost their life down here, and everyone hears about that, but nobody hears about Mark Saint, who was the pilot. He was killed by the spear. And they had a tradition in this tribe where they believed that when you died, if you were a strong enough warrior, you jumped on the back of a spirit called the boa that coiled up to heaven. And he, this man, Minkaye, killed him. And after he killed him, years went by, and Minkaye never gave his life to Christ. The entire tribe was won over by Jim Elliott and Mark Saint's wife. They, the women stayed and continued the work and after, after the murder of their husbands, they continued to minister to those people and reach that tribe. But years later, they had this tradition in, the, in, in this group. And uh, I'm going to, come on up, Boaz. In this, in this group, in this tribe, the tradition was that if somebody killed your father, you had a blood right and an obligation to kill the man who killed your father. And so... Here, years later, when, when, when Mark Saint's son, is, uh, Stephen Saint, is a, is a little, little kid, his father's taken from him, he grows up around this tribe, he doesn't even realize that he's growing up around the man that murdered his father, who still re refuses to accept Christ, and this man, Minkaye, says, I want to take you somewhere. He takes him on a boat, and they go on a ride. No explanation is given as they come up to the shore. He pulls out a tin can and a picture of him as a child. And he begins to tell him this is where it happened. And he sees his father's plane, and all of a sudden, every single bit of emotional loss of his father hits him in a moment, and he's confused. And, and, he, and he looks at him, and he says to him, he says, your father was a special man. He says, because... While in our tribe, people die and they try to jump the boa. As your father was dying on the ground, he jumped the great boa while he was still alive. Right there in the presence of all of these men who had speared to death, all of these missionaries, in front of them, a coil of angels was winding up to heaven. And they all saw it. And he put the spear against his chest and he... And he he gave it into the hand of the son, and he says, go ahead, kill me, kill me. And it's this profound moment where he realizes that God hasn't given him a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind, and he puts the spear, and he almost does it, and he stops, and he lowers it, and he says this statement. He says, nobody took my father's life. He gave it. We have a talk in the office, you know, about what is it to live for Jesus. I have a friend, Peter Ivanov. He was in Russia during the times 
of the Iron Curtain. It was illegal to be a Christian there. They were killing Christians. It was, it was difficult. And he came to the States, and I just said to him, I said, Peter, I go, I just don't know how you guys do it over there. You know, your life on the line. And he goes, huh. He goes, do it over there. He goes, in Russia. He goes, in Russia. He had that deep voice. In Russia, it's easy to live for Jesus. He goes, he says, it's hard to live for Jesus here. And Dylan often talks about, Pastor Dylan often talks about this. It's one thing to be willing to die for Jesus. What's hard is living for him. Unless you realize what Paul tried to communicate to Timothy, I think he's trying to tell us and remind us today, don't be afraid that you don't have enough courage or character. There's enough power in Jesus to do anything. If he could hang the universe with his words, imagine what his arms can do. There's enough love in Jesus that no matter how deep the pit is, that God's love is deeper still. There's enough prudence and wisdom in God that if you begin to avail yourself of it, you'll realize that you'll take different steps in your life and you'll find yourself on a course headed closer to Jesus and not further away from him. See, it's, it's easier to die for Jesus than it is to live for him. God hasn't called you to die for him. He's called you to live for him. God called, called, called Paul to die for Jesus, but he knew that Timothy was going to have to live for him. And so he leaves you and me with this truth. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and of sound mind, self-discipline, prudence. If you want more of that in your life, if you're afraid that you lack the courage or the character, if you're here today and you feel weak, if you're standing here and you say, I don't even know what wisdom is because I just find myself stuck in foolish decisions perpetually, and, but I want to see that changed. If that's you and you're here today, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and say, God, I want that spirit of love, power, and of sound mind. Let's do it across this room. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand. This was not a wasted letter, and it wasn't intended for one person. It was intended for every single one of us. There are a lot of letters that were written by Christians, but this is one that you said, I want all people throughout all history for all time to hear this letter of a man who has to die for Jesus being written to a people who are going to need to live for him. If you want more of God's presence, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands. There's no mystical moment here, and we don't have to flood the altar. All you have, the Bible says, ask and you'll receive. If you're needing that in your own words, just ask him this morning, saying, Jesus, more, more of your courage, more of your character, more of your love. I need a sound mind, Lord. Touch my mind. Touch my life. Father, across this room, you hear the cries of your people, the prayers of your people. And Lord, we need a very practical power, a very practical spirit, a very practical presence in our life that isn't going to just culminate in coming to an altar, but it's going to actually flow with our life out the door, into our home, back into our remembrance. It's going to it's going to intersect with conversations we're about to have and say, be wise. 
It's going to catch us at moments where we want to draw back and hide our light instead of putting it on a stand. Whatever it is your church needs this week, may you show them that you have far more available, not in them, but for them through the power of your spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. To rewatch today's sermon, you can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And again, to keep up with all that's going on here at the church, you can go on lowlyg.org or ne-cc.org. Thank you again and have a great day.